Galatians chapter 5 in today's verse-by-verse study through the book of Galatians. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Welcome back, friends. So, part five uh, worked out exceptionally well at the church. Unfortunately, uh, there was another setback with the recording, uh, as in there was no recording. The entire sermon went by, and uh, we actually, there were two different forms of recording there in the church. One that's video, and the camera the HD camera that they had did not have a video capture card and one that's going back to the soundboard but for whatever reason the microphone got switched from that uh, of the feed coming in from the microphone and rather it was recording uh, the local microphone on the computer at the sound booth. So you hear me way far away this echoey voice you can't understand a word I'm saying and then you hear all the whispering of the sound booth people as they're talking back and forth and moving shuffling papers around and turning knobs and doing the things they're doing. So part five turned out so bad that now I'm going to have to record it right here uh, in my office and my house. Uh, I'm doing this on Tuesday, February 2nd in northern Colorado. We just got hit. Um, I've got about 14 inches of snow. I've spent the morning digging neighbor's out uh, every time I walk outside my house. In fact, if I was to walk out right now and look up my street, I can almost guarantee that I would find at least one person that decided to try and go to work or drive to get a pizza or something and would be stuck (laughs) out in the middle of the street. So I've spent most of the morning either uh, doing service work over the phone with the company I work for or digging people out and helping them get back running. Uh, It's been a crazy day already, but now I'm going to go ahead and record part five. You're going to hear, well, Galatians chapter five as we go through here. And so without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, As we've been talking, uh, Galatians, it is a book uh, written by Paul, most likely when he was in Corinth. Uh, He had visited Galatia on two different occasions uh, and they received the gospel. It, everything seemed good, uh, but then all of a sudden they had this group of men who claimed that they were being sent by James and some of the other apostles uh, and had their blessing. These guys show up, uh, they're referred to as the Judaizers, and they show up and they start teaching another gospel. And they actually dupe the Galatians into buying into this other gospel. And as we saw in Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 6 through 9, we see that this other gospel, Paul gets p- pretty angry about this situation because this is a heresy uh, that will lead people to hell. People cannot trust 
in their own works, following after the Mosaic law and expect to be saved by grace. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Christ died on that cross and he made the perfect sacrifice. At this point, if we try to earn our own salvation, if we're trying to justify ourselves, uh, we have made common the blood of Christ. We have trampled underfoot what Christ had done on that cross, that perfect sacrifice. And so Paul, uh, very bent out of shape, very concerned, he uh, doesn't wait to dictate this epistle. He, he goes ahead and writes it himself. And as we have seen, uh, much conjecture here, but many people uh, speculate that Paul had some kind of eye disorder. There are many uh, uh, lines of reasoning why we believe that. I personally believe that that is the case. He went ahead and wrote this letter with his own hand. Uh, which I think should have been a very touching thing for the Galatians uh, as they see that he wrote this thing with his own hand. Uh, as far as we know, this is the only epistle that he wrote with his own hand. And so that's a little bit of uh, review. The book of Galatians, It's the outline is broken up into uh, three sections. Each section has two chapters each. So chapters one and two are more personal. Uh, the Galatians, I'm sorry, the Judaizers were attacking Paul's authority as an apostle. They were saying that he was an apostle of men. And they were also attacking the divine origin of his gospel. They were saying that really this is a gospel that came from Paul, not from uh, Christ. And so uh, in chapters 1 and 2, we see Paul defending his apostleship. He was an apostle that was uh, set in place by Christ himself. And also he is defending the divine origin of his gospel. This is uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not just some seeker-sensitive gospel that Paul's making up. And in chapters 3 and 4, Paul waxes doctrinal. He gets into arguments for grace over the law. He he presents a series of arguments to to prove the inferiority of the law to the gospel of grace and to establish the true purpose of the law. And so Paul spends these two chapters proving that salvation is by grace through faith alone. And then chapters 5 and 6, as we're going to see starting today, Paul shows us the moral and ethical considerations resulting from the knowledge that we're saved by faith. Right? What does it mean that we're saved by faith? If we are truly under grace, is it all right if we just go ahead and sin? You know, should we sin so that grace may abound? God forbid, as Paul says. So we talk about uh, uh, things like, does grace give us a license to sin? So let's go ahead and jump into the text. Open up your Bibles, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And we start right off with, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And so Paul says, stand fast, therefore. Uh, therefore, as in he's concluding an argument, uh, since we are now in this situation, under grace, in liberty, let's stand fast, hold fast to that grace, hold fast to the liberty, uh, our position in Christ. Let's not get sucked into the black hole of the law, trying to earn our own salvation when Christ has already done that for us. Uh, rather, 
we should stand in the liberty that Christ has given us. Even though we're not under the law, that doesn't mean we're to, to walk in a lawless fashion. Nonetheless, uh, yeah, we are accountable to Christ, okay? But we're to stand fast, hold on to that grace. And verse 2, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Let that hit you. Circumcision profits you nothing. Right now, Paul is now directly addressing the doctrine of the Judaizers, who are claiming that you must be circumcised to be saved. Now, Paul had no problem with circumcision in and of itself. Uh, It was a reminder of the covenant that God had made with Israel. The problem was the belief that circumcision was a prerequisite to salvation, or that it was somehow connected to the process of sanctification. Uh, Circumcision in and of itself cannot benefit you at all. It, It is a sign of that covenant, but in no way can it improve upon your salvation, nor can it give you any better standing before God. In fact, Paul goes on to say in verse 3, And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he's a debtor to keep the whole of the law. Oh, wow. Okay, now this isn't to say that those people who have been circumcised, right? Paul has definitely, definitely been circumcised. It's not saying that those people who have been circumcised now are under the curse, right? They now must keep all of the law. uh, And if they can't keep all of the law, they lose their salvation. No, no, definitely not. That's not what's being said here. What Paul is saying is that if we're to place our trust in circumcision or any other work of the flesh, keeping the Mosaic law, rather than the finished work of Christ on the cross, we're doomed. Okay, we're doomed to keep all of the law at that point. It's all or nothing, guys. It is, well, I shouldn't say it that way. I shouldn't say nothing, but it is either we keep all of the law and trust in our works, or we solely trust in Christ alone, what he did on that cross, the perfect sacrifice. We trust in that, and then good works follow because of our love and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that man, Christ Jesus, the God-man, he died taking the punishment we deserve. And we love him so much, we want to do that which pleases him, which still results in good works. Okay? Um, is it important then for us to keep all of the law? No, no. Uh, if, if you want, you can keep the law at that point. But at that point, it is not mandatory, nor is it really pleasing to keep many of the, the um, various aspects of the law that were intended for the Jews, okay? Of course, the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Uh, thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. You know, these types of things... Th- those are so important. And, and to please the Lord, we should be observing all of these things. But uh, the fourth commandment, to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy, 
Well, we've talked about that in uh, various podcasts. Do we need to keep the Sabbath? And the answer is no. Uh, would it hurt to keep the Sabbath? Absolutely not. It's, it's actually a wonderful thing when you just spend the day, you know, relaxing and uh, perhaps spending the time, uh, you know, some time in the Word and not being caught up with all the things of life, but rather spending that time with the Lord and not uh, working. Oh, what a wonderful thing. Uh, but must we do that? No, N- not in this new covenant time now that Christ has done what he's done on that cross for us. So uh, moving on, and by the way, I apologize. It, I'm sure you guys can tell I am uh, trying to recover from one nasty cold. Actually, a little bit of a praise report in that uh, starting Shortly before the month of October, when I took that mission trip to China, I started praying, oh God, because I knew that I had this China trip. And then I had some really intense obligations at work as soon as I got back that was going to require me to be working six days a week and uh, 10 hour days, most of those days, while simultaneously still keeping this podcast going and teaching at that church every Wednesday night. And I knew that that would last pretty much from October all the way till right now, which is the the very tail end of of January is when everything would start freeing up. And I was begging God, God, please may I not catch any cold and not get sick at all through that whole entire stretch, which would be a pure miracle. Because usually by this time of the winter, I've usually had two to three colds. Uh, It happened. It actually happened. This has never, ever in the history of my life that I'm aware of ever happened where I've made it this far into the winter without a cold. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I would definitely know that this is a miracle straight from God if the very last day of this stretch, the day when I'm finally getting freed up, that I would catch a cold. And I kid you not, I woke up the last day when I was supposed to teach part six of this of of this Galatian series, I woke up with a horrific cold, but I'd already done all the work. All I had to do was show up that day uh, at Calvary Chapel, Berthoud, Colorado, and deliver part six. <laughs> so God's fingerprints have been all over this situation. He has preserved me through this whole time, but now I'm reaping the benefits of a cold. And so my voice is probably lower by an octave and kind of scratchy, and I keep having to pause and clear my throat, but whatever the case. Moving on, let's go to verse four here. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. So Paul is saying here that when somebody willingly separates themselves from the grace of God and seeks to establish their own righteousness through the works of the law, they are separating themselves from the very thing that saves them. They have fallen. They have turned away, turned their back from the grace of God. You know, we, we read last week when we were talking about Hebrews chapter 10, those who draw back from the grace of, of, of Christ and count the blood of the covenant, the blood of Christ, uh, as a common thing, okay? They draw back, they go back to the Mosaic law for their own, to establish their own righteousness, and they have turned their back on the grace of, of God. 
insulting, almost insulting or trampling underfoot, counting common the blood of Christ. Not a good thing. And so moving on to verse 5, For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith, working through love. So we've seen that there is no way to achieve your own righteousness through the law, through following the Mosaic law. But what about uh, can observing the Mosaic law, can that in any way affect your sin nature? Can it, can it uh, remove your sin nature? You see, we're all born with this sin nature, right? Uh, at the very moment of our birth, we see that uh, our desires are sinful. Can observing the Mosaic law somehow remove that? Well, uh, consider this. What if we passed a law that declared uh, same-sex attractions, acting upon those attractions, if you know what I mean. Uh, What if we made that illegal? Which would never happen in this country. But let's say we did. (laughs) It has happened in the past, by the way. But nowadays it won't happen. Uh, What if we did? Would that change the desires of those who practice these things? No. No, absolutely not. The, the passing of that type of a law, it, w- it might condemn them, like the Mosaic law condemns us. But observing it by simply watching and keeping it, that won't change that sin nature. So what can we do about this sin nature? Um, you know, how can we sanctify ourselves? How can we cleanse our mind and try to uh, renew or, or remove that that sinful nature, at least hold it down, subdue it, tie it up, and keep it in the corner for a while. Well, uh, it comes from our love of God. See, likewise, see, the law cannot change our sin nature, and by following that law, the sin nature doesn't change. It doesn't go away. But through our growing relationship with God, we do see that our desires start changing. The sin nature is still there. But suddenly, uh, as, as that sin nature stays stagnant, our desire to please and love our Father continues to increase. And as that increases, we start winning that war against the flesh as we, as we really we yearn to be more pleasing to our Father. And so it's really, it is faith working through love that, really drives us forward and helps us overcome that that sin nature. And so verse 7, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. And so, of course, we know who hindered them from obeying the truth. It was these Judaizers. I would imagine there were uh, maybe one or two. There were some who were amongst this group who were more uh, dominant than the rest, who were kind of the, the, the alphas, <laughs> the ringleaders of this new and other gospel. But he says, this persuasion, it does not come from him who calls you. In other words, this doesn't come from God. Okay, God didn't. God is not the source of this other gospel. But when you look at the Greek here, 
and understand what's going on. When you when you look at the Greek as far as uh, this persuasion, uh, another way that you can translate this is actually saying um, you're too easily persuaded. Okay, as if Paul is saying the fact that you're too easily persuaded, it doesn't come from God. Now, <laughs> the fact that you're listening to this podcast. Uh, betrays the fact that you understand this. Being too easily persuaded is not a good thing. Okay, apologetics. You know, know what you know what you're supposed to believe. Understand what the word says, and don't get knocked around by every wind of doctrine. You know, Second Timothy chapter two verse fifteen. I've I've quoted this a million times in this podcast. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. First Thessalonians 5.21, test all things, hold fast to what is good. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, uh, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. In the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. You know, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 7. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. We see this situation uh, where uh, Paul is speaking to the Bereans and he commends them because the Bereans didn't just take what Paul said and, and, and just ran with it. No, they checked the scriptures daily to find out whether or not what Paul was saying was true or not. Likewise, with me or with anybody else you hear on the radio or on the internet or any articles you read or uh, anything that your own pastor says, check it with the scriptures. Somebody comes to your door and tries to give you another gospel Check it with the scriptures. Don't be too easily persuaded. That's not a good thing. I'm not saying being closed, closed-minded, all right? Uh, but at the same time, <clears throat> when you know what you believe, there is an element of discrimination, as in you discriminate between right and wrong, discriminate between truth and error. And when you know the truth and somebody brings you something that sounds a little odd, Check the scriptures and you'll find the truth in there, right? And so verse verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So on that whole concept of being too easily persuaded, Paul follows that up with a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, leaven in the scripture scriptures is, is often a picture of uh, wrongful behavior and, and sinful beliefs, Okay. Uh, you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul uses the exact same phrase when he's warning the saints in Corinth about tolerating the immorality of uh, um, certain people within the church. There was one man who had taken his liberty way too far and was committing incest. Okay, not good, right? So here we have a, a guy uh, who's committing his incest, and the scriptures say uh, that these Corinthians were were glorying in the fact that they were tolerating this. Did, <laughs> does that sound kind of like the political climate today? Does that sound like the church today, where we uh, glory in 
our tolerance of certain behaviors. Uh, I mean, no. And so Paul is saying, hey, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What he means by that, leaven, it, it, you know, it gets in dough. You put a little yeast in dough, in a lump of dough, and it will spread through that lump of dough. It'll spread like wildfire. And next thing you know, the whole lump, the whole lump of dough is leavened. Okay. Well, likewise, here we have this church. <clears throat> These Corinthians, they're, they're excited. They're tolerant of this situation. They're allowing this guy to go ahead and continue incest, and they're not rebuking him for it. They're not uh, implementing church discipline. And, and listen, you know, if somebody is caught up in some kind of a, a sin uh, in your church, something really should be done about it. Now, I, you know, everybody's sinners, right? Okay, but there's certain things that are that are um, that really need to be dealt with. Very, you know, and this is a very serious situation. Now, what happens if uh, the the elders, the leadership in this Corinth church, don't do anything about it? What does that say? That says to all of the less less learned people in the congregation in this church, uh, it says to them, "Hey, well, the, the elders, you know, they really know their scriptures. They know what we're supposed to believe. They've rubbed shoulders with some of the apostles, and they're not really concerned about this. So maybe we shouldn't be either. In fact." Maybe it's all right if we all just loosen up a little bit and uh, experience a little bit of liberty, if you know what I mean. Well, and there you go. And that sinful belief, that sinful doctrine now that this is okay, is going to spread. It's going to spread like leaven through a lump of dough. Now, uh, just as an aside, you can have this one for free, but how do you stop the spread of leaven? You stop it by fire. That's the only way to stop the spread of leaven through a lump of dough. Uh, I think there's a sermon there somewhere, right? We all need that refining fire. We need to be refined by Christ. Uh, But you really could put a whole sermon into that. And so anyway, getting back to uh, allowing this false teaching in their midst, they, they allowed it to grow like yeast. And so Paul goes on in verse 10, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And so, uh, even though these Judaizers have yet to experience any judgment from God, uh, they will in due time. Okay? That brings up a question that I've dealt with in this podcast before, but it continues to come up. Every time something really bad happens in the world, every time uh, some psycho decides to uh, slaughter a bunch of people, uh, whether he's screaming Allah Akbar or whatever, you know, running through a mall with a gun or whatever, a school, we, we uh, often ask the question, why doesn't God do something about these sinners? Why does he let, how does, why does he allow these people to continue breathing. Why doesn't he just bring down fire and judgment, you know, a bolt of lightning and strike them down and reduce them to a pile of ashes right where they stand? Why does this happen? Psalm 103 verses 8 and 9, 8, 9 and 10 
shed a little bit of light on God's character in this. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquity. And so it's not that God doesn't see their sin, or even that he approves of it, okay? God gives the wicked time to repent. We saw in, in the Second Peter study, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that, but that all should come to repentance. Wow. Okay, so on one hand, all of us really can't help but say, wow, praise you, God. That is so awesome because God has been so merciful with us. I'll just tell you from my own perspective, I would have been reduced to a pile of ashes a long time ago if God wasn't so merciful. Praise God for that. And so, yes, although we do wish for these people to be taken out of the picture, to be (laughs) judged at the same time, God, he is a merciful God. He's a just God. He is also a merciful God. If they do not repent, they will get theirs, okay? Uh, whether you want to say good or, ooh, I feel bad for them. Uh, either way, they will get theirs if they do not repent. And so these types of people, when we see this and we're thinking, you know, ooh, God, go get them, it might be a good time to pray for them. You know, pray for their uh, uh, repentance and their turning around and and running away from sin and running towards the Lord. Perhaps the Lord can use them. Look at Paul. Look at that guy. I mean, how many of us might have been tempted to start praying some imprecatory prayers uh, back in Paul's time, back when he was Saul of Tarsus, running around persecuting, persecuting Christians Some of us might have looked at that man and thought, Ooh, go, God, go get him. You know, strike that man down. Uh, But look look at what God did with him. Look how God used him. What what an amazing testimony. So anyway, I I, I praise God for that mercy. He's so good. So uh, whatever the case, judgment is coming to those who, who refuse to turn to Christ and repent of their wickedness. And so in verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. So is Paul saying here that he does in fact teach that we should be circumcised? You know, there's a website out there. Uh, Danielle discovered it one of the days uh, that I was up uh, teaching Galatians. I don't recall which week, uh, but uh, it is a website that has devoted an entire page of uh, content to each of the six chapters of Galatians and teaching that our Western Greek mindset um, has perverted the true message of Galatians, you know, sprinkle in a little bit of Roman Catholic Church uh, theology, 
and uh, some of uh, Satan's deception. And basically we who read Galatians and see that Paul is teaching that we are not to observe the Mosaic law uh, actually is the other gospel mentioned at the beginning of Galatians. And in fact, Galatians is really teaching that we must keep all of the law. Uh, that, that no, we're not justified by uh, keeping the Mosaic law, but once we've been justified, we must keep all of the Mosaic law. And if we don't keep the Mosaic law, that's a good indication that we were never justified anyway. And, uh, oh my, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, I might even devote a podcast or two, uh, or two uh, going back through and refuting every last claim that this person makes because they are getting uh, very good search engine optimization ratings on Google. Um, And so I can only imagine that their other gospel that they're teaching, their perversion of what Galatians is actually teaching, uh, is going far and wide. I'm sure a lot of people are seeing this. And so anyway, is Paul teaching that we must be circumcised in, in, in truth? No, that's not what he's saying here. Uh, nowhere in the New Testament do we see Paul teaching that we must be circumcised. In fact, obviously, we've seen over and over and over, it's the exact opposite. Uh, what is Paul saying here? Uh, some scholars believe, and I've looked at so many different commentaries, and I think that uh, the, what makes most sense, most, a lot of scholars believe that the Judaizers were claiming that Paul actually at one point was approving of their teaching that you must be circumcised in order to be saved. We know that the Judaizers were claiming that many of the other apostles were, were teaching that. Okay, So it's not a far stretch to think that maybe Paul, that they were claiming Paul was as well. And so Paul is like, hey, look, uh, if if I'm teaching circumcision, then why am I receiving persecution from these guys, right? And so moving on to verse 12, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Yikes. All right, I understand this is youth apologetics training, so I'm not going to go too far with this. But when you look at the Greek there for cut themselves off, we're talking a, a about a complete and total removal, Okay. This is, this is an everything must go sale. Uh, it, you know, th- th- there was uh, priests of Sybil who were uh, very common in that area of Galatia who would make themselves eunuchs. And it's almost as if Paul here is, is getting sarcastic to uh, the extreme and saying, hey, if you Ju- Judaizers want to uh, earn your own salvation, why don't you go as far as these priests of Sybil and Go to the extreme. Let's see if that earns you God's favor. <laughs> Yikes. Paul, come on, man. <laughs> so moving on to verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, and only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Just because we're saved by grace and can't earn our own salvation, it does not mean we can just sin all we want and have no consequences. See, uh, when we sin, God still intends on dealing with us. Now think about that. Uh, yes, we, we've repented. We've changed our, our, our stance. We've trusted in Christ alone. Uh, we're turning away from our sins. Uh, and, and praise God, there's so much grace. But, but 
Having said that, uh, on this side of the cross, we're now under liberty. When we sin, should we expect that God is not going to do anything about it? If we just sin and continue to do wrong, do we think that God is just going to let this go? Uh, Yes, we are saved by grace. But, yes, we will probably uh, endure chastening. We will have a heavenly spanking. And uh, a spanking would be a very uh, light way of putting it. You know, sometimes God just puts heavy conviction on us. Other times he will put situations in our life where something really bad happens and we just know. I mean, it just immediately, we just know it in our heart of hearts. Oh my goodness, this is because of this sin in my life. And you just feel it. I've had that happen to me so many times. And um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 and 8, I've read this in the podcast many times. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with a son. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. So when we do experience this chastening, praise God. Praise God. That is so good. That is, that is uh, uh, God just, he's, you know, like a heavenly father. Uh, when, when your child repeatedly runs out in the road and you say, don't do that, and you tell them to stop running in the road and they're not listening, and pretty soon the child gets a spanking, you know, a little bit of bite to, that, uh, to those words, it is a good thing. It's not that you want to hurt the child by any stretch, but what you're doing is you're saying, you have to stop this. I love you so much. I don't want you to get hurt. And uh, the Lord, as our Heavenly Father, sometimes will chasten us. And we praise God for that. So no, we should not just continue sinning. It's not something we want to do. Uh, Also, as a Heavenly Father, um, you know, as a parent, I should say, as a parent, uh, when your child realizes that they've done something wrong, I'll tell you from my own experience, when I uh, am uh, chastening one of my children, and I see it in their face, they know they did wrong, and their words are telling me, oh wow, I've done wrong, I will never do that again, and you can tell they mean it. In other words, they're repenting. Uh, There's a really good chance I'm going to deal very lightly with them. If I'm convinced that this is a done deal, and that I'm not going to have to um, revisit <laughs> this particular situation ever again, what, what need is there to, to take it any further? You know what I'm saying? There's really, and, and likewise, with our Heavenly Father, I think that there are many times where um, heavy chastening has been avoided by us realizing just how stupid our actions are and have turned from them and said, Lord, I am so sorry, I will not do that again. And uh, really meaning it, okay, this is not one of those lip service things. And turning away from that sin and going the other direction. And uh, I think that there are times when the Lord um, has mercy on us. Praise God. So moving on to verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Jesus made a very similar statement in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. He says, uh, you know, there's a situation where there's a lawyer and he's challenging Jesus with this question. He says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? 
And Jesus says to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So, uh, love God, love others. And so at this point, uh, a, a really good rabbit trail comes to mind here. Uh, because as we've seen, there is a scripture in First John that echoes this passage very well. But there's also a passage that fits in line with this Galatians study perfectly. And um, throughout this Galatians study, I've taken many rabbit trails to look at scriptures that seem to suggest that we should keep all of the law. So let's look at another one. Uh, because I really want to nail down how we are saved. Is it through our own works? Is it strictly 100% through grace, through faith, by that perfect sacrifice uh, of Christ? Or is there some kind of a mixture of the two? And so let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-5. through 5. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. All right? So I could easily throw this right into my series on Bible contradictions. Is this a Bible contradiction? Have I been misleading you this entire Galatian study? Uh, many messianic groups and legalists will use this passage and say that we Gentiles, uh, Gentile believers, still need to keep all of the commandments, all of the Mosaic law. Well, is that the case? Well, what does it mean? What, what does John mean when he says commandments? Uh, that would be the first question that comes to my mind. When I read this passage, it's like, whoa, commandments. What does he mean? Does he mean all of the Mosaic law? Does he mean the Ten Commandments? Or is he speaking about something else? Okay, because commandments, you know, that's a broad word. It can mean a lot of different things. Well, if you look up the Greek, uh, the word is entole. Now, I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that right. But be that as it may, entole, injunction that is an authoritative prescription, uh, a commandment or a precept, okay? So right there from the definition, we see that it's not necessarily the Ten Commandments, and it's not necessarily the Mosaic Law, all right? Well, is it used anywhere else in the New Testament? Yes, it is. It's used 71 times. And I went ahead and took the liberty to read all 71 times uh, just to see how it's used. And exactly how that definition seems to make it say, uh, many times, in fact, what I would say, don't quote me on this, but somewhere around most of the time, it appears to be pointing towards the, the precepts or teachings of Jesus himself. All right? Uh, it also... Sometimes it's pointing towards teachings in the Old Testament. It's pointing sometimes towards teachings in the New Testament. Some of the times, it actually is, in fact, definitely pointing towards the Ten Commandments. And, and by the way, guys, I'm looking at grammar and everything when I'm looking at these 71 uh, different verses. 
you can look at these and and some of you might be thinking, well, what if the translators of the New Testament somehow slanted it towards these different things when actually every single time it was a Mosaic law? When you're looking at these and you read the verses uh, in context, you see that, yeah, uh, many times it's strictly talking about the teachings of Jesus. Uh, many times it's talking about the teachings of God the Father. Uh, sometimes it is most definitely, hands down, obviously, talking about the Ten Commandments. Uh, sometimes it's talking about the first five books of the Bible, the law, the Torah. Um, and other times it is, in fact, speaking of the Mosaic law. All right. So we see that, you know, it can mean uh, several different things around the idea of precepts, instructions, right? And I, I think that when a lot of these legalist groups uh, will take this idea of keeping all of the law and running with it, uh, a lot of times they're looking at this word in Tole and saying, see, we're supposed to keep all of the commandments, all of the Mosaic law, when in fact it's not at all what's being said when you look at it in context. So let's look at it in context. When you continue on in the book of First John, I'm sorry, the epistle, and you continue on even to the next chapter, 1 John chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, we find this passage where John defines for us, praise God, defines for us what he means by keeping his commandments, his being Jesus. Uh, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments in Tole and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment. Ooh, here we go. That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. In other words, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, uh, and love your neighbor as yourself, if you will. I mean, that's really kind of the gist of it, except he's being more specific and saying, believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave, he, uh, you could insert father or Jesus, gave us commandment. And so, just like it says in verse 14, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You would almost think, that John and Paul are hearing from the same Holy Spirit, right? And so going on to verse 15, yeah, there is no Bible contradiction there at all. Solved. Done. So moving on to verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Bite and devour. Sometimes Christians can really imitate the world and go after each other. Um, Shouldn't we be living in a way that the world is jealous of our loving church family? Uh, yes, absolutely. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus speaking, and he says, A new commandment, hey, uh, kind of curious to know what that word is, and tole, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. In other words, guys, Jesus is saying that the world will know us by our love for one another. Okay? 
uh, I guess a negative aspect of this would be that when we're not we're not loving one another, and we're actually doing a great disservice to Christ and how His church is then seen and perceived uh, by the rest of the world. Shortly before delivering the original sermon here uh, of Galatians chapter five, when I delivered it in front of the church, uh, I had. Uh, been out in Wyoming at a job site working on some wireless cameras and I had some downtime and I started talking to a guy named Bo and I think all you guys should pray for him. Really nice guy. Immediately I couldn't help liking the guy. He served in the military. He defended his country. Just a really good guy. Okay. And uh, as I'm talking to Bo, I, I find out that he is a Jack Mormon. He was raised in Utah by a Mormon family. He grew up in the Mormon church, but he left Mormonism. And at that point, I could not help but ask the question, why? Why would you leave uh, your church? And his answer was exactly this. He said, I looked at these, these uh, hypocrite Mormons and how they were constantly stabbing each other in the back, talking smack about each other, uh, uh, doing mean things to each other. And he said, they're not living out their faith. And I don't want anything to do with it. Okay? Very good lesson there. I have a neighbor, really nice kid. His mother is a Jehovah's Witness. In fact, uh, one of the people I dug out this morning was his mother. Okay? And uh, this neighbor of mine, he uh, attended for several months the uh, Kingdom Hall. That's where Jehovah's Witnesses meet. And he was, they were trying to pull him in, right? And eventually he just stopped going. And I'm outside talking to him one day and he's like, I am done with that. I don't want anything to do with it. Of course, again, I can't help myself. Why? Why did you leave? Same exact answer. He said, they're all hypocrites. They're all stabbing each other in the back. They're all talking uh, behind each other's backs. They don't look like any kind of a church that I would expect God to be a part of. Now, conversely, when this same guy, Josh, he shows up at our church, we invited him up to uh, our church. And right away, he walks in the front door and gets this great big hug. And he's blown away by how people handle themselves at this church. And he comes up to me later. He's really disturbed. <laughs> and he's like, you know, I don't do hugs. I don't like when people hug all over me. He goes, but I have never, ever felt so much love as I have felt here and in this group. And he was so blown away by it. See, guys, the world is watching. The world sees what we're doing. And when they, when they, when they see that we are loving one another, we are um, fulfilling what Christ said there. When they will, he says that they will know us by our love one for another. When the world conversely sees us talking smack about each other, gossiping, these types of things, doing hurtful or spiteful things to, to each other, the world sees a whole different picture right? And they're not seeing Christ at that point. And we're actually persuading them to go elsewhere, in a sense. You see what I'm saying? Now, you know, also, you know, gossip does create mistrust. You know, when I'm talking to somebody and they start talking smack about somebody else around me, 
I immediately lose trust immediately lose trust for them. As in, at that point, the first thought that pops in my mind is if they're going to talk uh, bad about this other person, then they're just as likely to talk bad about me. And I know I've got enough issues that, you know, there's something to talk bad about. So anyway, it, it always comes back around to uh, gossiping, backbiting, backstabbing. It always comes full circle, just like what Paul's saying there. They, they bite and devour each other, but eventually it's going to come back to you. So I guess another thing to consider when we're talking about our tongue, like James says in chapter three, verse six, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. See, our tongues have the power to kill people's spirits in the sense that you can ruin somebody's life. Uh, with your words. And, and every one of you listening has experienced this. They know, You know somebody who um, their character, their life, the course of events in their life, and who they are today has been drastically uh, ruined, messed with, destroyed because of the words of somebody else. Simple words, just Somebody said something really mean and nasty to him and has, and that has held on to him to this day. So, you know, we really, as Christians, really need to be careful about how we speak. We need to be building people up, not tearing them down. We need to be doing things uh, that show love and, and, and we're not spreading uh, anything that is going to hurt other people or hurt uh, the image of the church. You know, in in that uh, people are watching and are they being drawn into the doors of the church where they can hear about grace and hear about the love of Christ? Or are they seeing nothing but the same old worldly junk and being pushed out the door in a sense? They're looking at what we do and thinking, wow, they're no different than anybody else. So uh, enough said. Moving on to verse 16. Uh, I say then, walk in the spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So, like I mentioned earlier, you know, there are, we, we have this sinful nature that we're born with. But when we are born again, right? When we uh, trust in Christ, there is this new nature, one of the spirit, that is born. It doesn't cancel out the old nature. They exist simultaneously, side by side. So there's this spiritual nature and there's this fleshly nature. And we all immediately sense it, right? Right when you were born again, you, you start immediately sensing this conflict between what your flesh wants to do, it's pony in one direction, and what you really want to do, what your spirit wants to do, what you, you know, to please the Father, Right? And this, this, this fight starts happening. And like we mentioned last week, Romans chapter 7, verse 19, For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. That's Paul. That's, that's the Paul that says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Yeah, the same Paul who has suffered so many things uh, for his faith and, and was able to do so many amazing things for God. So uh, we're, we're in good company, right? And so what does it mean 
to walk in the spirit. Uh, to walk in the spirit would um, <laughs> the 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 hyper charismatic movement would have a totally different definition here. But to walk in the spirit is. Uh, the Holy Spirit is really behind a lot of our uh, decisions in life, that our whole lives are surrendered to, to Christ. See, um, we all know that there's so many Christians out here in the world. Um, they love the Lord. They attend church. They spend time in fellowship. They try to walk upright before the Lord. But there's something they're holding back. Uh, they haven't truly yielded themselves to the Lord, okay? They haven't really fully given themselves over. Um, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And so, uh, you know, when a, when a believer really finally lays down their, their own will, their own desires, their their flesh, uh, and they say to God, you know what, uh, really, uh, it, your will be done, and uh, here is my life, take me, use me, and they start operating in the will of God, they start moving in ways that they never dreamt were possible. I think that when, if, if the church as a whole was to do this, to really surrender themselves over, uh, we would see massive change in the world. We might even see what so many people call revival, where uh, the gospel really does reach every corner of the earth and people are coming to the Lord in droves. Uh, if if we were to really give ourselves over and walk in the Spirit. But uh, Paul goes on here and he, and he actually starts talking about um, walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit. But in verse 18, he goes on, but if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. See, if we were walking by the spirit, uh, we wouldn't, you know, you can't be under the law. When believers are justified by the belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're not under any requir requirements of the Mosaic law. Well, how much more when a believer is being led by the Holy Spirit? And so in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, uh, lewdness or licentiousness, uh, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I have told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa, whoa. Okay, so let's look at some of these things. So some of them are obvious, like fornication, duh, adultery, yeah, I understand that. Um, some of these are not so obvious, uh, like licentiousness. That's a big word. What does that even mean? Uh, it means promiscuous, uh, unprincipled in sexual matters, okay? Uh, also, he talks about sorcery. Now, I mean, yeah, it seems pretty simple. Witchcraft, spells, charms, amulets, potions, uh, 
Even voodoo dolls were used, uh, voodoo-type dolls, were used in Greco-Roman times uh, for the purposes of, of trying to attain some kind of divine favor. But what is going on here? There's a little bit more going on. That word sorcery uh, in the Greek is pharmakia, you know, where we get the word pharmacy. Now, some Christians like to take this really far and say, well, that means that uh, getting anything at the pharmacy is practicing pharmakia. No, 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 no. Yes, pharmacy does get its name from that Greek word, pharmakia, but that's not what's being talked about. You know, you go down to the pharmacy and you get some antibiotics, which are not good for you, but you get some antibiotics, you know, because you've got some kind of infection or whatever, and or whatever, right? Some painkiller because you just broke your arm or I don't know, whatever, all right? That's not pharmakia. That's not uh, what is being talked about here. But just like you see in the movies, uh, back in those times, uh, people were doing things with various uh, ingredients like potions, basically, putting together strange ingredients, you know, tongue of newt and hair of a loved one and some odd body part of a spider, you know, and whatever, and you throw it into your mix and you and you intone or vibrate various secret words or names of gods um, for the purposes of making some kind of mixture that has a supernatural influence over the natural world, right? Pharmakia. All right. There are also uh, drugs uh, that were used back then and they're used all the way nowadays uh, that actually will open doors for communication uh, in the spirit realm. And now we just went all the way off here, right? I just slapped on my tinfoil hat. Um, no joke. Uh, there's stuff like ayahuasca. Uh, this drug, people will take it, and uh, most of the users will report that shortly after the drug takes its effect, uh, they'll be visited by a being. Some being will show up. They show up in many different forms, okay? Um, the whole point is to deceive. These beings will show up in whatever form will best deceive the person, uh, and they'll start talking basically theology with them. They'll start talking about spiritual matters. And never, never, never will they say anything uh, supporting the claims of the Bible. They're always, they will teach you and they will point you in any worldview, any direction other than the truth, which is the scriptures. Um, funny like that, right? So anyway, pharmakia, sorcery. Uh, moving on, hatred. Uh, we're not talking about this politically correct form of hate, which we hear over and over and over and over on the news and the media. Oh, hate, hate, you're a hater. Hater's gonna hate, right? Uh, no, it, it, you know, nowadays when somebody says hate, what they really mean is you disagree with somebody's behavior. And that somehow magically means you hate them. Uh, no, no. Uh, by hate, I'm talking, the Bible's talking about strong feelings of malice towards somebody. You really wish malice upon them, right? You hate them. Uh, totally different thing. And so uh, we as Christians, we don't wish ill on anybody, even people that we completely disagree with their behavior. We don't wish ill on them. We don't wish malice on them. Uh, we pray for them. We love on them, but we tell them the truth. We disagree with their behavior. That doesn't mean we hate, 
right? Uh, but anyway, sorry, soapbox, moving on, contentions, uh, you know, like somebody who's quarrelsome, somebody who likes to start arguments, uh, jealousies, uh, obvious, you know, thou shalt not covet. Do you envy other people's gifts or positions in life? And by gifts, I'm not talking about, you know, running around prophesying and speaking in tongues. See many other series on those types of subjects. Um, outbursts of wrath, you know, very obvious. Dissensions are separations. They're separations caused by disagreements. Uh, heresies. I don't even think I need to say anything to the, the people that listen to this podcast. You're very familiar. You know, apologetics. Know what you believe and, and understand how to defend it. Uh, revelries. Drunkenness. Uh, revelries. Okay, there's some dispute on what exactly is being talked about there. Uh, riotous gatherings. Uh, heavy drinking. Uh, drunkenness. Uh, orgies. These types of things. And then Paul says, those who practice such things uh, uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, when he says those who practice such things, that is in the present continuous sense. Uh, That is, they are in the habit of doing said things. Their lives are characterized by these behaviors. So if you have these behaviors, any of these in your life, Yes, be concerned. Does that mean you're not saved? No, not necessarily. Is your life characterized by this? Are you in this continuous sense of doing this? Or is this a, I fell, I screwed up, and I'm repenting and changing direction type of thing, right? Do these, if you have some of these uh, fruits of the flesh in your life, does it bug you? When you do these things, do you immediately feel a check in your spirit? Uh, If you do, good, good. That's a good sign, right? Now, Paul goes on and he starts talking about the fruit of the Spirit. So, just like what we just talked about there with the fruit of the flesh, if you have some of these things in your life, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not saved, okay? But, uh, you know, these are the types of things we need to purge completely out of our lives, Uh, conversely, through the Spirit, if we don't have all of these things, again, that doesn't mean we're not saved by any stretch, okay? But these are the things that we want to start seeing as they are fruit of the Spirit in our lives, okay? So in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Again, there we hear it again. Against such things, walking in the Spirit, there is no law. And so, uh, unfortunately, you know, as time is is restraining here, in fact, I've already gone past the length of the original sermon. So you guys are, I guess, getting bonuses here. Um, (laughs) But you could, I could easily, anybody could, uh, preach an entire sermon on any one of these one traits you know, love. Jesus said they'll love us by, uh, they'll know us, sorry, they'll know us by our love one for another. Are our actions and behavior showing love? Are they motivated by love? Joy. You know, our lives are not always peachy, (laughs) Uh, but will people see that inner joy that comes from knowing and serving our Savior? right? Do people see that joy that that wells up from within uh, us? Uh, Peace, Um, you know, by peace. Uh, Do people see an inner peace that results 
from our faith and trust in God who has our back in these, in these tough times. Uh, when we're in tough situations, do people see us uh, in a way that, uh, you know, do we inside of us know that all things work out for the good of those who love Jesus uh, and are called according to his purpose? Do they see that we really believe that, that peace that comes from knowing the Lord and trusting in his will? Uh, God has really been working on me in this area as of late because I've been going through a lot of very stressful stuff. Uh, Long-suffering, another area that he's been working with me on. Uh, Patience in afflictions and annoyances and persecutions. Uh, It's also being patient with others' shortcomings. It's being willing to accept irritating and painful situations. Uh, God is so long-suffering towards us. Uh, gentle, or I'm sorry, kindness or gentleness, tender concern for others, reflected in desire, in a desire to treat others gently, just as the Lord treats all believers. Goodness, uh, goodness, guys, like uh, being good to others. Uh, just recently, uh, when I recorded this podcast, actually, or this sermon originally, uh, we had just finished watching some neighbor's dogs for three weeks. It was two dogs for three weeks. And these dogs, when you go over to their house, are the sweetest dogs. When we brought them into our house right after they left, it was like, oh my goodness, they just grew horns and they're little devils running around our house, terrorizing, chewing stuff and attacking. Um, At one point, guys, some people are going to gasp in horror. At one point, uh, my daughter and wife caught one of the dogs literally trying to kill Mog, my cat. They had uh, Mog in his mouth and he was clamping down and Mog, trying to defend himself, was was latched onto the neck of the dog with his mouth and, and there was some blood involved and tried to eat my cat. It was a mess, okay? And we had these dogs for three full weeks, It was an incredibly stressful, difficult three weeks. Uh, We survived, and when we gave their dogs back, they came back, and they were so blown away that we didn't want any compensation. We didn't want any money for that. We just wanted to do good to them. And the neat thing now is that, uh, I mean, they're so blown away away by that. Um, The door is wide open for the gospel now. So I'm looking forward to what opportunities might present themselves in the coming weeks. Be praying for that too. Very nice people. Um, Very new age bent. um, But the Lord can break them of that. And so I'm praying for that. But, you know, being good to people, doing good things, having good works to uh, men and women around us. And so faithfulness. Uh, Are we people who can be trusted Uh, Can people depend on our word? Gentleness. uh, Like, you know, it's a humble and gentle attitude that is patiently submissive in every offense while having no desire for revenge or retribution. Um, Also sometimes looked at as meekness. This idea that it is strength, but under self-control. Okay. Uh, this idea of never mind me, but rather let's recognize others, okay? Uh, self-control, pretty self, 
uh, evident. <laughs> uh, and then he goes on, against such there is no law. And in verse 24, no. <clears throat> and so those are the fruit of the Spirit. I, I wish I had more time. I wish I could just keep going on this. But uh, moving on to verse 24, and those who are Christ have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And so he ends, you know, this is a continual habitual lifestyle. Uh, we continue to, to walk in the Spirit. And walking, it, it implies that there is progress. You're moving forward. You're, you're walking in a direction. And you're making spiritual progress. Amen? And so uh, I'm actually going to stop here on uh, part six of this study. I actually do Galatians chapter five, verse 26, and then jump into six, verse one. So we'll stop right there. Friends, you know, are we uh, uh, recognizing when we're walking in the flesh? Do we see it for what it is and repent of it and turn from it? And also, friends, are we striving to live after the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, uh, and, and thus uh, being pleasing to our Father, and also being winsome uh, to the rest of the world. They see us walking in the Spirit. They see all these wonderful traits, and they uh, yearn to know who this God is that we serve, that we would uh, have these types of, of attitudes about us. All right, so I will stop right there, friends, and uh, next week we'll pick back up back in the church. I'm hoping and praying that that recording turned out okay. As of yet, I haven't heard it yet. Um, I think I've learned some very important lessons in all of this, and that would be never rely on other people's equipment. Take matters in your own hands. If I want to have recorded uh, sermons I'm going to make sure that I have my own devices uh, plugged in and recording when I'm doing this stuff as well. That way, um, should stuff happen where uh, the equipment doesn't work, I have a backup plan. So that will be what I'll do next time. I'll get my iPhone up there on the podium and another one of my recording devices. And uh, God willing, this will never happen again. <laughs> but uh, with that... Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, love you guys, and see you next week. Sing it out loud, declaration.